It's good to have you this morning. Um, if this is your first time here, you are on the front end of a brand new series that we started last week. Um, so you're not too far behind. Isn't that good? It's called the 10 series. Let me tell you what the 10 series is all about. We are taking the first 10 weeks of the year, only the first 10 weeks, and we are going to give God the first 10 minutes of every day reading the Bible. Like I said earlier, we have a 10-10-10 reading plan. 10 minutes a day will allow you to work through 10 books in 10 weeks. Just 10 minutes a day. You even have time to make notes in these awesome notebooks that we're going to give you at the end of the day service. So we're taking the first 10 minutes of the day and we're giving that to God. We're taking the first 10% of our income and we're giving it to God. We're taking 10 nights over the next 10 weeks and we are intentionally, last week we talked about being intentional. We are intentionally taking 10 nights out of our, the next 10 weeks and we are investing them in relationships in community groups. We talk a lot about community groups here at the gathering. It's not because there's not other things to talk about. It's because I don't know if there's anything more important to talk about outside of Jesus. Because he calls us to be in relationship with one another, in community with one another. So we're taking the first 10 minutes of the day, we're giving it to Jesus. We're taking the first 10% of a dollar, we're giving it to Jesus. For you, those of you that are math challenged, that means, well, if you're math challenged, 10% of a dollar means 90 cents. <laughs> well, if you're math challenged, you won't know the difference, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's a dollar of every $10. It's a dime of every dollar. It's, a, it's $100 off a 1000 That's what we're trusting God with. We talked about that some last week. We're taking 10 nights over the next 10 weeks. How many of you are super busy? Raise your hand. I mean, I'm surprised every hand's not up. So I'm not, you know, I know what we're asking. I know that what we're asking requires a commitment. It requires being intentional because nobody wakes up on a Wednesday and says, I just hope tonight I happen to end up at a community group. It's a choice that we make to get in the car, to drive to the house, to fellowship with other people, and to talk through Jesus. So we're asking you 10 nights. And then not only that, we're asking you to have 10 conversations. Just 10. Only 10 conversations. Some of you talk all the time. So you're going to really cut back. And the people that are married to you are like, yes. Some of you, you, you had not had 10 conversations in your life. I mean, you are shy. You, I mean, right now, you're thinking about it and you're breaking out in a sweat. Okay? But we're asking you over the next 10 weeks just to have 10 conversations with somebody else at the gathering who's also reading the same thing you're reading in the Bible. So this week, apparently, if you got together and had a conversation, it would have gone something like this. What is Jesus doing? And they would have said, I was actually going to ask you the exact same thing. Just a conversation. Just talking about the Bible. Because here's what we believe, and I told you this last week. I'm asking you to, to commit four areas of your life to Jesus. Four. Some of you won't do it. You'll say, I'll give them one. And I told you last week, if that's you, I'm cool with it as long as you promise me the one thing you'll do is ten minutes a day in the Bible. That's more important than your money. It's more important than your relationships. It's more important than conversations. Just ten minutes a day in the Bible. Get a reading plan when you leave today. You're only seven chapters behind. And there's two catch-up days. You can do this. Okay? Get a reading plan. Get in the Bible. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. So last week we kicked that off and we talked about being intentional. 
It's the choices that we make. It's not going to happen accidentally. Today, we're going to take the second week. We're going to talk about a word that most of us probably hate. There are times in this series, um, I'm pretty honest. I'm pretty upfront. I'll say things like, hey, this will work in your life even if you don't love Jesus. I'll say this will work in your life even if you don't believe in the Bible. Just this principle will still work in your life. But there are times that we teach principles that, honestly, if you don't love Jesus, it's not going to happen for you. And today's one of those days, okay? Now, you, that doesn't mean some of you are like, well, I don't really believe in the Bible, so I can get out of here early. That would be awkward. Like if a bunch of you stood up and walked out right now, that would be awkward. So just hang on. I promise you can still get something out of it. But the word that we're going to talk about today is a word that I believe only Christians, people that are truly sold out 100% to Jesus, can do. And if I can be really honest, church people, Christians, don't hate me on this, but if you're, if you're on the fence about Jesus, let me just tell you the truth. The reason that you're on the fence about Jesus is because people who are Christians don't live what we're talking about today. Okay? So I just called everybody out at one time. Wasn't that awesome? And nobody killed me. Let's move on. <laughs> this morning we're talking about living lives of contentment. Now, I talk about contentment a lot because it's one of our values here. As a matter of fact, if you were here for the At Our Core series, um, you've already heard a lot about contentment. Because at the, at the gathering, one of our values is we value simpler living. That if we just would be more content then God would be able to funnel more blessings through us to people around us. So if you weren't here for that, it's on the website. I would strongly encourage, not because it's fun to sit in a computer and watch somebody talk, but I'd strongly encourage you to go back to um, the archives on the website, thegatheringnow.com, and just find At Our Core, and just, it's the thing, it's the last week. We talk about simpler living, and it talks a lot about contentment. Um, it's one of the things we value a ton. So today, if you got your Bibles, we're going to turn to a ton of scriptures. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay because we're going to put the screen on the screen and we're going to have the verses for you, okay? Now, if you can't read, I can't help you. <laughs> All right. I mean, I can't help you, but not right now. So go ahead and um, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. We're going to start there. And I'm just going to give you three things, three benefits of contentment, okay? Y'all can remember three things, right? You can remember three words. Yeah. No? You can, you can do this. You can do this. Three words. All right, I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, 6, and then I'm going to give you three benefits that come with contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Here's the first benefit of contentment. Contentment keeps us free. Now, I think on your sheet it says contentment makes us free. Just scratch out makes and write keeps. I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, I've already said this, that I had to talk about how you handle stuff in your life. You know everybody's stressed, right? You know that they've done, they do studies about how stressed people are. And then they have people sit down and ask them questions. How stressed are you? And if you're not a test-taking person, then you're already really stressed just because they're asking you how stressed you are. But they have found that stress levels are up 30% in our country. 30% in our country over the last three decades. It's a lot. The people who are most stressed, women, young people, 
I mean, that's a no-brainer right there because the women are married to the husband and the husband's the father of the kids. So they're all stressed about the man. Oh, okay, now let's, let's move on from that. Third group, low-income families. And now this is a surprise, right? So women, youth, and low-income families, they're the most stressed of the people in our society. But everybody is struggling with being stressed. As a matter of fact, everybody, if I said, what, what is your answer to the question, do you feel free, if you knew it was anonymous, nobody would know your answer. They wouldn't judge you and say, well, I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to be free. If I just said, do you feel free, most of the time, we would all say no. We feel strapped. We feel like there's this, these chains around us. We just we want to do something. We just can't quite get free. All of us can relate to the need to get away. Most of us go on vacation, and we come back from vacation already thinking about going on another vacation. Some of us come home from vacation wanting to never go on vacation again because we're so stressed when we get back. Most people don't feel free. And you can't be content if you feel trapped. Freedom, the good news is, that Jesus does that the best. See, contentment can't make you free. Only Jesus can make you free. So when I said earlier that we're talking about something today that if you don't love Jesus, you probably can't pull off, I wholeheartedly believe if you don't passionately love Jesus, you can't truly live a life of contentment. Jesus comes to set us free. Galatians 5, verse 1. says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. John 8, 36 Jesus wants you to always be free. He doesn't want you to sometimes be free. It says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's fair to ask the question, how does Jesus set us free? And here's how he does it. He sets us free from sinful hearts that are turned inward. Everybody say, ouch. This is the bad news, okay? Proverbs 27, 20. You need to write that down. Let me read it to you, because it's a nasty verse, bad verse, the kind of verse you wish was not in the Bible, because you read it, and you just want so badly to point to the people next to you, and you might do that and say, that's about you. But if we're honest, we read it and go, ugh, I think that's about us. Proverbs 27, 20 says this, death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. Listen. We always want more. What is it about us that always wants more? That can stand in a house. Now we're talking about, you know, we think automatically, we think of money, we think of stuff, we think of things that you can put into Tupperware. But let's just talk about our hearts. We're never satisfied. The sinful heart is never satisfied. It always wants more. We're not going to turn to it, but there's a story in the Old Testament where David took Bathsheba and had her husband killed and then he got told a story about a guy who had all the stuff he could ever want but he wanted the one thing that one other man had because the sinful heart is never satisfied it always 
once more. So Jesus sets us free from that. When we're redeemed and we're set free by Jesus, we get new hearts that have more of our Father's giving nature. See, when you talk about God, just walk up to people on the street. I wish you would do this. Take your camera and just say, give me some words to describe God. Go. I mean, they'll come up with some crazy stuff, right? But you know what one word they'll probably never say? Selfish. Why is that? Even people who don't really believe in Jesus would never say that God was selfish because God has a giving nature. John 3.16, if you've memorized one verse, that's the one that you memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. He gave. He gave. Jesus sets us free from hearts that want more. Here's a simple way to remember it if you want to write this down. The sinful heart wants more. The redeemed heart gives more. The sinful heart wants more. The redeemed heart gives more. Let me read you Hebrews chapter 13. Verses 5 and 6. Here's what it says. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Here's how that ties in, okay? Here's how this ties in with contentment. Listen, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to be content. And then he tells us why we can live with contentment. Because it's one thing to know, we all know we're supposed to be content, right? I mean, you've all had your parents say stuff like, well, you know, kids over in Africa don't have peas. And you're like, send them these. I'll box them up. Send them. We've all heard it. You should be happy with what you have. You should be happy. You should be thankful. All of us know we're supposed to be content. But the question is why? Why are we supposed to be able to live contented lives? And he tells us two reasons. He says, because one, never will God leave you. Never will he forsake you because God is with you. And then he said, and he's my helper. So here's what that means. It means that knowing God is with us and for us frees us to be content no matter what is in front of us. When we know he's with us, when we know he's for us, I mean, have you ever had like a big, strong dude with you? It changes your whole outlook. <laughs> Some of you wives are like, I wish. <laughs> he needs to go work out. I've been the scrawny kid. I mean, I'm telling you, 87 pounds in the eighth grade. I wore elbow pads on my knees because knee pads slid to my ankle. <laughs> I was a zipper. I was small. And if I was alone, I felt even smaller. But let a couple big guys come hang out with me and say I'm with you. It changes everything. The presence of Jesus changes everything. Why can we be content? Because our God is with us, and he's not only with us, he is for us. 
Literally, we can look at people who are all over us and say, you have no idea who you're messing with. And I go, I'm messing with the zipper. No, you're talking about me. I'm talking about the dude with me. Because he is the God of the universe. And you mess with me, I'm his kid. He's going to mess with you. And look, when I know that he's with me and I know he's for me, I become very content no matter what I'm facing. Well, I can't be content because my power bills do and I don't have any money to pay it. That's a little freaky. But if you're alone in that situation, that's when sweat pours down your forehead. But when you know that the man, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills is with you and for you, you start going, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. But you got this. Contentment. Peace. It's a good thing. Jesus sets us free from hearts that want more. And contentment with Jesus keeps us free from the temptation to return. Contentment keeps us free. Second benefit. Contentment helps us focus. This is not a surprising benefit. Anybody in here who has ever decluttered their house? And as you're decluttering your house, you found something that you thought you had lost a long time ago. And you kind of went, oh! See, it's not a super phenomenal spiritual principle. Contentment helps us focus because we remove a bunch of distractions and we can focus on what we really need to focus on, right? All of you are going to go home today, we're decluttering the house. I want to find something, a $20 bill. I think I lost it. I want to find it. Less becomes more. A clean yard is easier to keep clean because it's so easy to spot the dirt. Now, you come to my yard, don't go to the back. The front looks pretty good. The back, that's where we blew all the leaves. It's hard to find stuff in a dirty yard because it's dirty. But you cleaned your yard, and suddenly, I mean, what, let one leaf fall on that yard after you blew it. You're all over that leaf, right? You got one of those things with a sharp edge, and like, bam! Get in my yard. Because you've removed the distractions. See, the sinful heart wants more. We crave more and more and more, and we get it. We get more and more and more, and all of a sudden we got a bunch of junk, and we can't focus on anything. We start to remove that. Contentment keeps us free from all that stuff, and now we can see better. We're focused better. We can see this at work in 1 Timothy, back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy. And in verse 6, he tells him, we've already read it, to be content. The context of everything that we're reading in this passage is about living free of the desire for more. Verse 5 says this. It talks about men who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I mean, we could spend a lot of time right now talking about your favorite TV evangelist who, th- who treats godliness as a way of financial gain. 
If you love Jesus, you will send me your last dollar. I don't want you to give Jesus your last dollar. I want you to give him your first dollar. And then he'll, he'll get all the rest. But if we treat the gospel as something that we can do so we get more, then we've missed the whole point. Paul's writing Timothy saying, don't, don't crave more. Let's learn how to focus. Let's learn how to have less. So verse 8, Paul mentions specific things. I love this. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now, look, the obvious question is, why food and clothing? Because I don't want you to be hungry and naked. I mean, for selfish reasons. <laughs> I don't want you to be naked. It's scary. You don't want me to be naked. But here's the bigger principle. He's able to identify the two things that mean the most. Why could he do that? Because he's gotten rid of everything else. He says, you know what? I don't need anything. Just give me food. Just give me clothing. Because when you remove the distractions, you can focus on what's most important. Removing distractions automatically leads to greater focus. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2, tells us that when we have thrown off all the distractions, all the sin that entangles us, we're able to fix our eyes on Jesus. See the order that it comes in? Throw off all the stuff that's entangling you, get rid of all the distractions in your life, and then fix your eyes on Jesus. Sometimes what we're trying to do is the other way around. We hear messages like this, and the first thing we think is, I really need to, I need to be thinking about Jesus more. And so we just, I'm trying to think about Jesus. I'm trying to focus on Jesus, but we can't because we've not gotten free. Jesus has to set you free. Contentment keeps you free, and now you can focus. Contentment helps us focus. One last story, and then we'll move on to point three. This is a story that people love or hate. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Before I read it, I need to ask this question. How many of you in this room are type A people? Raise your hand. Anybody here type A, A, A? Okay. You'll love this. Jesus tells a story in, in Luke chapter 10. There's a story about how Jesus is hanging out in the home of two sisters. Their names are Mary and Martha. Verse 38 says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That's a good thing. It's always good to open your home to Jesus. I could ask you this question right now, but you can talk about it in your community groups. Have you opened your home to Jesus? Or is he still just a Sunday thing? We talk about the other six a lot. Because Sunday is not the most important day of the week. It's what we do Monday through Saturday. And for a lot of us, we meet Jesus at church, but we don't invite Jesus into our home. So let me just ask you that right up front. Have you invited Jesus into your home? And when you do, it changes things that you do at home, things that you watch at home, conversations you have at home. 
Martha, who, and I mention that because Martha's fixing to get ragged out by Jesus. He's going he's to get on her. But I want you to know right up front that she did a good thing. She opened her home to Jesus. She had a sister called Mary who was a lazy jerk. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not in there. We'll get to it. Who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what she said? he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. What was Martha? Yeah, see, you're answering that like type A people who know you're getting called out. But what was Martha? She was distracted. By all the preparations that had to be made, she came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So the picture here is Jesus is talking, Mary's hanging out, sitting at his feet, Martha's cooking, she's preparing things, and for years this has been taught in a way that makes workers feel bad and worshipers feel good. But that's not really what the story is about. Let's just say this. Here's the principle from this story. Many things distract. Few things don't. Martha was distracted by many things. But they're important. He didn't say they weren't. But she was distracted by many things. Because many things distract. Few things don't. So Jesus said to Martha, he said, look, you're distracted with many things. Mary has chosen the one thing. Martha needed to focus on one thing instead of being distracted by many things. This is not a story about laziness versus hard work. Sitting is not better than serving. But Jesus is. Jesus is better than serving. Martha did understand one thing. She understood this, that when, when our lives are full of Jesus, when he's all that matters, if he speaks a word to us, he, she knew that we will do it. Did you catch that? Her plan for getting Mary off her butt. Because can't you just picture Martha just fuming? Are you kidding me? I am, look at me, I'm sweating. I mean, women don't sweat, they glow. She is sweating, she is hot on the outside and the inside, and every time she peeks around the corner, there's Mary just sitting there at his feet, just listening to him talk, and he's still talking. I'm just, God, there's so much to do. And so she could have just gone out there and just let them all have it. Not that anybody here would do that, right? Me included. But what did she do? She came up with a plan. She walked out and she said to Jesus, Lord, tell her to help me. Because she knew if she walked out and said, Mary, get up off your butt and help me. Mary would be like, I'm listening to the master, Satan. But Martha knew that if Jesus told Mary to get up and help, what would she do? She'd get up and help. See, the beautiful thing about focus, about contentment, it's because Jesus becomes enough. Contentment helps us focus on the best choice. The best choice is not sitting versus serving. The best choice is Jesus, period. Have you made the best choice? Have you chosen Jesus? 
When we're free from the sinful desire for more, when we're able to focus on the best, we get the third benefit of being content. Here it is. Contentment gives us what every gymnast has. Flexibility. Contentment gives us flexibility. We make different choices. And the choices that we make are influenced by a desire to have the flexibility of margin. On your sheet, under three, just write the word margin. God wants us to have margin in our lives. We don't need to be better. I mentioned this last week. We don't need need to be better at time management. We need to be better at value management. Because we put our time and our resources and our energy where we value things. Contented people value the flexibility that margin gives them. I, I love this, this statement. Contented people stop trying to have everything because they get tired of everything having them. And if you've ever tried to have it all, if you're honest, somewhere along the way you realize that all of it has you. And you sit at your house. When you know, we do this all the time. She gets sick of me saying it. I'll say stuff like, do you miss the duplex? And she'll go, what? You know, we're sitting in a home. It's a regular three-bedroom, two-bath house. Built in the 70s. Drafty, the whole deal. We love it. I mean, it's better than the trees, right? But every now and then, there's something in me that just longs for the 700-square-foot duplex that had the floor furnace for a heater, and if you stood there, it blew all over you. You know, you turn around in that spot and give people the tour of the home. There's bedroom and the other bedroom, the den, the kitchen, and the bathroom. Welcome to our house. I miss that. Because at some point, you get tired of feeling trapped by all the stuff. And what I want you to understand is when that happens, you have no margin in your life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, how God this year wants to put you in divine situations. And some of you are so maxed out financially, spiritually, emotionally, that even if he said, go there, your first answer would be, I can't. You're so maxed out. You have no margin in your lives. I have no margin in my life. If I wanted to say, yes, I can't. Here's the big idea for today. When we say yes to the best, we can say no to the rest. When we say yes to the best, we can say no to the rest. Most people look like this guy. I have a picture of a guy in a cubicle. That's a picture of most of our lives. Um, just, just to be clear, that's us. Look, even if that guy wants to move, how, just a show of hands, how many of you think he wants to move? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Even if he wants to move, how many of you also know that he cannot move? I mean, he's probably trying. He can't. He just sounds constipated. He can't move. That's us. That's us when we're so stressed, we're so maxed. We have no margin in our lives. And even if we wanted to move, we can't. Because we have given into the lie that we want more. Contentment gives us flexibility. We're going to finish this morning in Philippians chapter 4. 
Y'all been so patient. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, he says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And he's writing in response to a gift that the Philippians have given him. So I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I taught about this in the At Our Core series. I told you how way back in the day, I think I even flashed up a picture from my Bible, how I had taken that verse, Philippians 4.13, I had highlighted it in a big circle. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And underneath it, I had written the, the phrase M-A for J-C, which I knew meant Mr. America for Jesus Christ. Because I knew that if the word of God was true, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even though I was 87 pounds and wore elbow pads on my knees, I could become Mr. America for Jesus Christ. And how as I've grown and matured and read, I realize I so misappropriated that passage. We want to take that truth and just wipe it on everything we want to do. Well, I, I'm going to be an NBA basketball player. I mean, if I told you that, your response to me would be, you're old, you're white, and you can't jump. And my response to you, if I'm a spiritual Christian, is, but I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you'd say, possibly, but you're old, you're white, and you can't jump. And I would say, get behind me, Satan. For the Lord, yea, the Lord, even the Holy One, hath called me to play in the NBA for the minimum salary, which is a lot of money compared to what all of us make in this room. And you would walk away and say, that is one weird, deluded man who is old, white, and can't jump. See, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about somehow you have superhuman power to do things. He's talking about the fact that you can be in any and all situations and live with contentment because God gives you the strength to do that. Do you see the context where that verse comes from? Being content in any situation gives us the flexibility to say yes to any situation. Here's how this works out. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you never know. Today you go home and you're eating lunch. When you get done with lunch, you take a nap. When you wake up from your nap, you're still on the couch. Everything's kind of blurry. Kind of rub your eyes. You click on Fox News. You're watching an interview with somebody from Sri Lanka. And you think, Sri Lanka, is that in Arkansas? And then they show a map, and you realize, oh, that's not Arkansas. That's like in another part of the world. And God says, I've called you to go to Sri Lanka. And you say, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> what? He says, I've called you to go to Sri Lanka. And, and your, your first response in that situation says a lot about how we've learned to live with contentment. Because when we've learned to be content in any situation then we find it easy to say yes to any situation. When we have learned only to be content 
in the middle class American situation, it becomes very hard to say yes to anything that's not middle class America. Or whatever situation we've become comfortable in. Do you see what I'm saying? But man, if I've become content, like Paul said, if I've learned the secret of being content in any circumstance, if I've got a lot, fantastic. If I don't have enough, yeah, I liked it better up there, but God still got me down here and I'm content. If I'm there and God calls me to go to something, there's no place that's below me. There's no place that's beyond His grace. There's no place that's beyond His ability to provide for me because I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. It plays out in my life like this. This is very applicable to our church. The first church I ever had a job in, I was an intern, and the worship there was horrendous. I've told some of you the story. And it was, I mean, it was like one of those churches where if I wasn't interning, I don't know if I would have brought people. Well, I didn't bring people anyway, but I don't know if I would have gone. And it was just horrible because I had come from First Assembly here. I mean, this years ago. And First Assembly here years ago, they were known for worship. I mean, the bands, it was phenomenal. I mean, like, you just sat there and listened to it and were holier. It was amazing how good the worship was. And then here I am in this church, and they love Jesus probably just as much, but they were just horrible musicians. Horrible. Like the guy that led worship never smiled. He always looked like he was, you know, his stomach hurt, and he wanted to get out of there so he could go take care of that. And it was just, it was, ew, you know, it's terrible. And I complained to God all the time about it. God, I deserve better than this. I love you. This is stupid. These people are horrible. Please, Lord, this week, kill them all and replace them with musicians. <laughs> and instead of God answering my prayer, he talked to me, which it would be nice if he'd answer my prayer. But instead, he talks to me, and here's what he said. I'm going to paraphrase. He said this. If you can't worship me here, you can't worship me anywhere. Thanks, God. Almost holy jerk. So just to be clear, Lord, you're not going to kill him? No, I'm going to kill you. The secret of being content. It does not mean that we settle for less. It does not mean that we're lazy and don't work to make things better. It means this, whatever the circumstance, God, I am content with you. Jesus becomes enough and ultimately that's the goal the goal is that our lives would be so flexible that we can say yes to the best his name is Jesus so that we can say no to the rest anything that gets in the way of Jesus I'm a big Seinfeld fan some nights I have to say no to Seinfeld on syndicated TV so that I can say yes to spending time with Jesus in the word Let's just try to do some practical guidelines. These are things you can write down that will help you kind of work out how to apply contentment daily. And then we're done. Here are four words that probably should have been the big idea, but since I already gave you a big idea, these will be an almost big idea. Choose less so you can do more. Choose less so you can do more. Choose less so you can do more. 
Pick one or two areas where you can work on creating margin. Let me give you an example. Um, I don't know if your closet looks like our closet. Um, some days we're scared to open our closet for fear that the things in the closet will come out and attack us, and kill us, because we had the door shut and it took a while. <laughs> so here's a, here's a thought. What if for the rest of the 10 series, you went through your closet and you said, you know what, for the next nine weeks, I'm only going to win 10 outfits. I'm only going to wear 10 outfits. Ugh. Now for me, that's not hard. Because I pretty much wear the same five anyway. But if you've got 100 pairs of shoes and they're all, they've all been bought because they accessorize just nicely what you wear because you've got the certain color bracelet that goes with a certain bow at the bottom on the shoe. And I'm talking to the men here, okay? <laughs> See, right now you're thinking, but well, no, 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 I can't. Ten shoes? That's not possible. But what if? What if for the next 10 weeks you said, you know what, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stick with 10. What if we went the other way? You're going, I can't do it. I just can't. I mean, somebody like you, Paul, you're a jeans and T-shirt guy, so you just need a couple pair. But I am, I dress nice. I got a job, the whole deal. Okay, go the other route. Pick out 10 outfits that you don't wear anymore. They're sitting in your closet, and you're saying things like this. Someday I'll wear that again. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because even if you did lose the weight to fit in it again, it's not going to be in style for another 10 years. <laughs> give it away. Just give it away. If you went through your closet right now and found 10 shirts, 10 pants, 10 shoes, you would also find more space that I would challenge you not to fill with more stuff. There's one way to apply it. Create margin intentionally create margin in your life. Financially, here's the thought. Those 500 cable channels that you have, of which you only watch the same six, downgrade. But what if, what if I want to watch the other 394, whatever number I gave you? You're never going to watch them. And if you did, they're in Japanese. <laughs> Downgrade. Margin. Here's one you can write down, or you can just wait and get it off the recap and blast it all over Twitter to all your friends. Say no to the replaceable so you can say yes to the irreplaceable. That sounds really good, doesn't it? What in the world does it mean? Parents, look at me because I feel your pain. I am one too. The day has been long, hard. You have worked yourself to the core. You are now seated comfortably in front of the TV, and you are enjoying your, um, your show of choice and a beverage of choice. And as soon as you begin to do that, your children need you. In our house, it works like this. Mom, can you come hug me? Dad, can you come say goodnight? I've already been there. Already hugged you. We've already prayed. I'm asleep. <laughs> I find myself 
doing that, I'm ashamed to say. And you know why? This is really sad. I'm not being too honest for you. Because I'm watching something on TV. And at the same time, I'm holding a control that allows me to pause it. And I still say no to what is irreplaceable, my daughter, so that I can say yes to what is replaceable, a show that will run again. And then we wonder why we're not content. Because we say yes to the wrong things. And because we say yes to the wrong things, we can't even choose to say yes to the right things. Say no to the replaceable so that you can say yes to the irreplaceable. I'm being too practical, I know. I'm just trying to give you ideas. The only reason I started running back in 2008 is because my kids would ask me to go outside and play tag. And I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go. I was tired. I was out of shape, overweight, and tired. And then one day it dawned on me. They were going to grow up. That the time I was saying no to them was irreplaceable. As soon as I said no, it was gone. And so I decided to do something about it. I'm going to run a 5K. And the rest is history. If they ask me to play, now I'm like, hey, you want to go play tag? Because I'll beat you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to race? Let's go race. I'm going to smoke you. They're like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> no, you're going to race me now. We're going outside now. I put in all the work, all the training. I'm going to pummel you. All right. The point is, though, I mean, we say no to all the wrong things. The things that matter the most, we find ourselves saying no to. I'm just challenging you. Man, make a difference. Just make a change. Just choose this week over the 10 series. Just find an area of your life and intentionally create margin. Intentionally say yes to the best. I know that this is true. We will not make it through 10 weeks of intentionally developing the four spiritual disciplines if we aren't practicing contentment. Because at some point, you're going to say, there's got to be more than just reading the Bible, than just going to community group, than just giving God my money, than just having conversation. And I want you to understand something. It is the cry of a sinful heart to ever say there must be more than just Jesus. There is never more than Jesus. He is all we need. When we learn to embrace contentment, we'll be free from what distracts us from Jesus. We will be focused on only Jesus, and we will be flexible enough to say yes to Jesus.